Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodak with, I keep wanting to say Olympic gold medalist. Is that like the, anyway, Etienne Stein. I, I say Olympic gold medalist and Olympic gold medalist and, and rebel nowadays. Right. And, or Olympic gold medalist and environmental campaigner, depending on what, you know, what people might or might not want to hear, depending where they're at. Well, I think and you're also, you're also a very active Extinction Rebellion person. Last time we spoke, you talked about the strategy, the mission, the, some of the tactics. The next step is, I'm very curious, your personal role, both in, at the very beginning, I'd like to go in chronological order. Before you started working with them, what did you do? What did you ex- expect to start doing? And how did things begin? Was it what you expected? Were you getting the results that you were looking for personally, uh, so- socially? And um, mm. when I say social, I mean affecting society. Yeah. Okay. How do we start with this? So I guess I was just feeling my way before Extinction Rebellion came along. I was just kind of feeling my way forwards, trying to think, you know, I knew that this was a problem. You know, there was a problem with global warming and the planet being destroyed, whatever. But, you know, it was, it was important enough to me. Um, I think I said in the last one, you know, I'd I'd been on a march in 2009 and I was, you know, by the time I retired, you know, I was kind of becoming uncomfortable and thinking about my impact more and more, but I didn't really know. And that's, I think, probably quite fair enough to say, you know, lots of people don't quite know what they can do. And I was, I suppose I hadn't really worked it out. And when Extinction Rebellion came along, it had this, you know, this kind of, I guess this formula really is kind of saying, you know, there's the science here and there's the, we've got this potential way of, of working towards a solution and our solution next, our XR's proposed solution is to upgrade democracy, to include ordinary people in, in the decision-making processes um, that in, we use this thing called citizens assemblies to bring ordinary people's voice and make sure ordinary people who are not tainted by vested interest and short-termism in the room when, you know, making this, making the policies, making decisions. So, XR's got this fairly simple, you know, broadly speaking, a very simple strategy. It's like we've got our demands, we've got the science, which is explaining the reality of what the, you know what's going on, and then the, the tool as such is this tool of nonviolent direct action. And I suppose there's a talk online which people will be able to see. Sometimes it's called Heading for Extinction: What to Do About It. There's a talk, and it basically sets out this, you know, the proposition. Like this is this is what's going on. And this is what you can do about it. And it you know, takes you on that kind of journey in a fairly, I think it's sometimes about an hour and a half or something like that. It's a talk with some interactive kind of elements, whatever. And it kind of, for me, I got, I just took that on and it, and it was like, actually, I can do something about this. And I'm prepared to, you know, when you understand the consequences, and again, this is probably UK specific, but in each country will be specific, each group will have its own methods according to the legal situation in in the country, in each country, because basically the, I guess one of the ideas about civil disobedience is to find a kind of weak spot where you can apply pressure to the state or to institutions with a minimum risk of consequence, I guess minimum consequences or, or consequences that, you know, a lot of people will be able to live with. So in this country, up until recently, um, that they've changed the laws now in response to it, this, but up until recently, the, the, the laws around, it's called obstruction of the highway. So basically blocking roads was relatively minor. It's less minor now, but it's still fairly, 
you know, potentially manageable for a lot of people. You know, we had also, we have laws called aggravated trespass, which is meaning going on to a, onto private property, what happens to you when you're on private property and, and what, you know, what risks you have there legally. And again, the risks of a lot of these things tend to be, well, certainly when I came to them, quite manageable. And for the thousands of people who have been arrested as part of Extinction Rebellion, they've come to the conclusion that for them, it's manageable for them. They can live with the consequences. Of course, recognising that for some people, the legal, getting involved in the legal system in any country, you know, can be really bad, can have consequences. You've got to try and make an informed choice as best as you can. For a second and ask, at this stage, have you won the medal yet? Or are you... An athlete no, I'd, no, I'd already, I'd already won. Yeah, so I won okay. my medal in 2012, and I joined Extinction Rebellion in about. Yeah, my first action with them was in 2018, November 2018. So it's quite a long time, and I retired in 2016. So it was a couple of years after I'd retired when I was kind of working around. And that's the interesting thing, I suppose, is that you know now looking back, and of course even at the time I was looking for something effective to do in my life, you know, meaningful pro-social I've always felt like you know what I wanted to do was important to do something socially useful and and to help people you know I think that's just what my life is for I guess there's a kind of broader point there is what do people think their life is their life is for but I think that's a good good enough answer for me and I got this kind of formula you know you have this training and it tells you you know the consequences of the various sorts of tactics that Extinction Rebellion use and I was like I think I can do it for some people perhaps they can't you know and we know in some in some places and for some people people of color people with disability transgender people even women can have a much much worse time and men you know you know people can have a much worse time at the hands of the police but in the UK you know we have what the laws if you understand the laws we have our rights enshrined in law we can work within them and we should you know we can hold the authorities accountable if they're not in theory, although that's very much for debate, probably again for certain people, very much up for debate. So, so my first involvement with them was to go to a protest. It was known as the Five Bridges Action, where Extinction Rebellion shut down five bridges in London. And it was interestingly, I believe, it was the route where the, the London Marathon goes. So they, the, the police and authorities already had a plan for, you know, what happens when these roads are shut down, how they, you know, mitigate those situations. Extinction Rebellion shut that down. And I was a part of that. And I thought it was super cool. I was very proud. It was a bit scary, of course. I'd never, ever, ever been involved with the police. I've never broken a law. You know, I remember when I was a kid, once I stole a, a Mars bar from the uh, shop after school as a kind of dare. That was not very good. And once I stole a towel from a hotel I was staying at in Slovakia. They're the two things that I really am, you know, thinking they're like my my kind of crimes, if you feel, if you will. But I've never, you know, I'm not into breaking the rules just for the fun of it and being a tear away. It's for me, I've never done anything like that before. So it is a big step. And the thing that the first time I was arrested, I was only, I just went as a member of the public. But the next time that I was arrested in April 2019, I made sure that the press, you know, the press and media team from Extinction Rebellion knew that I was an Olympic champion and that there was going to be an arrest of someone of interest, so to speak. And in front of me, sitting in front of me, there was also an ex-metropolitan police officer who was a member of my group and we got arrested more or less at the same time together and it was a very big thing you know when someone in their respectable position as such at the metropolitan police and again that's up for debate given their recent behaviors but 
he was a very respectable, upstanding citizen, and he had chosen to take this nonviolent direct action. So the second time it was public, and it made quite a caused quite a stir. It helped to legitimise the rebellion. It helped to legitimise the behaviours that lots of people were taking, and the April rebellion in 2019 was the kind of big moment for Extinction Rebellion when it kind of exploded onto the scene. Did you see images of you or video of you on, it's like on top of a bus shelter talking to a crowd? Yeah, that, yeah. So that was just before that. Yeah. So it's interestingly, lots of people think that I was arrested because I was stood on top of a bus shelter, but it wasn't that. No, we did. I did. A, the guy next to me is actually a very interesting person called Chris Packham, who is a, an environmentalist in uh, an environmentalist and a na- naturalist. He does basically programs about nature and he's very outspoken. And he was on a program I used to watch when I was a little kid called The Really Wild Show. And so he was, a, he's very well known. He's very, very well known as a kind of, you know, person who's passionate about nature and all that. And he'd come to speak to the, to the rebels on the bridge. People were just like, you know, some of the press people were like, oh, you know, do you want to go and speak to anybody? And I was like, well, I'm not sure. But they were like, oh, you'll be fine. Everyone will be happy. And I was like, oh, go on then. So they give me a leg up on top of the bus shelter. And I've, obviously, you know, it was quite exciting to do that. But I don't mind saying, yeah, it was definitely, you know, people will have gone, who's that guy stood next to Chris Packham? But, you know, so I didn't get arrested for being on top of a bus shelter. I got arrested basically for sitting down in the road and the police come up and speak to you you know, they work their way through the crowd. I was in a crowd of, you know, well over 100 people, all of which were sitting there. And the police come through and they they speak to you. They normally give you in this country, they give you sometimes it's called a five step process. They kind of ask you five times or they ask you four times. And the fifth time that you refuse, they will arrest you. But they don't have, they, they, they're supposed to do that. They don't necessarily have to do it. But I just basically refused to move. And then they arrested me and, and took me off to the uh, to the police van and then eventually to the police station. And so that was the first time that I'd done that publicly by the time that I came out of the police station. Yeah, there was quite a bit of media attention on, on what I'd done. The reason I asked about the being on the bus shelter wasn't because you were, was that why you were arrested, but it also tells me, it, am I right to conclude that you were taking on a larger role than simply doing what everyone else did, that there was a lot of preparation, whether you intended to go on the shelter or not, even if you weren't planning to go up there, you must have reflected, do I have something to say here? Have I reflected on this enough that if I'm up there, I can say something meaningful? No, that's very insightful question and an insightful thought process behind it. Yes. So I would absolutely say when you go out to perform, you know, an act of non-violent, disobedience and break the law you have to go through a process in your mind of you know being really clear about why you're going to do this you've got to be able to explain it to yourself really and you're probably going to have to explain it to your loved ones because they're going to be like what the hell is he doing you know what I mean and why and this is a very important part of this that's one of the reasons why it's powerful is that people wonder what could possess a person to do something like this it's a really good thing to kind of that's a really important part of why these these actions work But as a sort of public figure, and I think I said this last time, I I see myself as a kind of two or three out of 10 celebrity on the scale, you know, Um, and I knew as a public figure and I wanted to be out there to express why I'm doing this and to use my reputation as a kind of starting point or a leverage point to get the story across as to why this is a responsible, sensible, morally correct 
thing that a, you know a citizen might do that res, you know respectable people would perhaps do was to use that so I knew I was going to have to explain myself and I do consider myself to be a good communicator I think it's something I'm good at I don't quite know why but I think that's one of the talents that I have and I've developed over the years and I was like right I need to I want to be ready to speak so in the end I didn't necessarily wanting to speak about you know myself to the rebels other people there but I was prepared because I'd already gone through it all in my mind and I was clear as to why you know what thought processes had brought me to it and I think it's also fair to say you know in the Olympics means everything to some people and it certainly meant everything to me or a lot to me but in amongst the crowd of people who are like you know contemplating the end of the world and the end of civilization as as we know it they can be forgiven for being like yeah wicked he's an olympic champion you know they don't watch sports i'm i'm like doing whatever you know what i mean so i was a little bit kind of worried but at the end of the day the, the truth is is that extinction rebellion is made up of absolutely vast 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 majority of it is is made up of ordinary people you know ordinary citizens there are a few people who you would identify as kind of activists but most people are ordinary people who've heard the call that something really bad is happening, that they can do something about it and that these methods are. So therefore, some of them are interested in sports. Some of them aren't interested in sports because not everyone's interested in sports. But, you know, so it it was, yeah, I was heartened because actually a lot of people did get a lot out of thinking that an Olympic champion was stood with them and making the same kind of, you know, on the same journey, the same ticket as what they were doing. So I felt proud to do it and I felt even now feel very proud because I think it did help to make that rebellion successful in a small way. And I to answer a little bit of your questions, you know, I guess I am, I do, I do do work. Uh, well, don't do work. I am a spokesperson for Extinction Rebellion. Sometimes I go on like the media programs to talk about what's going on, this and that, you know, and actions and things. So yeah, that's one of the things that I feel good and able to do. So you have status or recognition for the athletic achievements. I think I also see MBE after your name. Yes. Which would be something not conferred by competition, but the government. No, it's the queen. The queen gives you that. Yeah, yeah. So that's even kind of, you know, some people, that's the icing on the cake. But that's, yeah, that's, I have my MBE is for services to canoeing. So services to my sport by virtue of being a Olympic champion. It's a kind of secondary thing. But a lot of people think it's really cool. So. Well, I think that the police would recognize it. Yeah, I mean, if it pops up on their computers, I don't know if it does. Um, I imagine uh, it'd be interesting to know if it pops up on their computers. I don't know if it's actually like in my, you know, I don't even know. I'm sure they have a file on me. It probably does. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But it is an added extra element of sure, you know, respectability. You know, if you sign, just like if you're a doctor, you write your letters, doctor such and such, or sir this, or some such MB that, you know, it does, it does have a difference. In certain circles, that means a lot to people. In other places, it means less. And, you know, that's, that's fine. So I don't always, I'm not blowing my trumpet about my MB always, but, you know, I, I put it on some stuff sometimes. Well, I was wondering how much of a difference it made in, in your effectiveness or in the gravity attached to what you do, right? Yeah, I think it does because for better or worse, an MBE is a is a sign of, you know, a kind of establishment recognition, a sign that you're, the establishment sees you as a person, notable person. And in this country, 
there's a quite a big thing, you know, if you're on, it's called the New Year's Honours list, there's the birthday honours, it's, you know, the Queen makes a list, presumably with the help of other people, who she's going to recognise as being worthy of note in the society. And lots of people have it. You know, my great auntie, uh, in fact, I think she was an MBE for services. She was in the Territorial Army for a while, for example, you know, so, you know, there is other, you know, you, and you can, people from all sorts of society places get like these honors put to them but it is an honor it is a recognition and i think there's something very powerful again about the people from the establishment or people from these respected positions saying this is wrong i'm not standing up for it and being prepared so you know just just last week two weeks ago we had someone from inside shell you know decided to blow the whistle effectively so she, she was leaving shell she couldn't work there anymore knowing what they were doing which is this horrendous greenwashing campaign um and you know the fact that their commitment to green sustainability whatever you want to call it is a complete sham and she publicly came out and so there is and i guess it comes back this is my own personal theory you know every person has somebody that they can influence some people are in a position that are able to influence more people or have not not maybe not influence the right word but have some impact on people and if you've got that, then people should be using that, I believe, or, you know, I'm inviting them to use it, to step into that power, because just leaving it on the shelf, it's like, a, you know, a good reputation left on the shelf. What's the point in having it? It just makes you feel good. Actually, a good reputation is something that's earned and something that I, I think should be used to the good, you know, to recognise in recognition of being recognised. I think it's quite a nice thing to do. So for me, it was important to be visible and to be, arrested publicly for what I did because I was trying to legitimize and normalize this behavior which to a lot of people doesn't make sense but it is effective and it is it should be normal because having your future destroyed by your government isn't normal it shouldn't be normal we should not be accepting that as a as a thing that is happening so I kind of feel like it's good to use that power you talked about a rewarding feeling after having done this and uh, I, I, was, I wasn't sure if that was from one or more of the solidarity of the group, the teamwork that you're with, the principles of the matter, the effect that you have on the public, the feedback Mm. you get from the public, the feedback you get from the government. How do you measure the, from what do you derive your sense of accomplishment? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I would say very much doing the right thing, you know, being consistent, you know, having a, you know, this is how, you, you know kind of walking walking the talk no yeah walking the talk yeah you know like standing by your principles and being especially if your principles are for the good of other people and are drawing this very large way of like care and love and compassion for beings and human beings and non-human beings and people that you don't even know and people that are not even born yet animals are not even born yet to me a sense of duty and responsibility, doing the right thing. You know, I often say it's just like, you know, I couldn't not do what I'm doing no more than I could walk past somebody in the street who just falls over, keels over, and just looks like they're having a heart attack, right? There'd be a crowd of people gathered around them. Maybe no one really knows quite what to do. I'm not going to just stand by and walk on. I'm going to try and help that person. Even if I'm not entirely sure as what to do, I would try and help with my best understanding of what help would mean, even if it was just literally to be with that person while they're suffering and having a bad time. So I, I see it in the same way, you know, I'm not absolutely certain what I'm doing is the right thing to do, but it's morally right. 
I'm hoping it is effective, you know, and, and I can't I can't stand by and not do it. I think and I, and I believe that lots of people hold a view of themselves that as, as a good, decent, honest, kind people to kind of act in consistency with that, that that proposition, because standing by at this point is beyond, you know, it's, it's horrible to think, you know, if you're standing by now, what's being done in our names and what is being done to us. It's outrageous. It's horrific. And so that to me is a big part. And another big part is, yes, let's say using a feeling, a sense of responsibility to use the power that I have, whatever that is. However, it is significant, but it's not significantly massive. But I have got some influence. Let me use, you know, using that for, for the good of our people. I have to be honest, uh, Josh, as well, you know, when I first came out of my out of the police station and in those few hours before I started to speak to people I was very very worried whether or not you know I would I literally just committed social suicide as such by doing this outrageous thing and everyone would really hate me for doing it and because it was controversial yeah so the, the protests XR protests are controversial they cause disruption they cause consternation they cause a fuss they sometimes cause people difficulties in their lives we're trying to explain all the reasons why that's you know why we feel compelled to do that but it was controversial in hindsight it doesn't seem as controversial but even like most recently and I, I, I may as well skip forward you know I was arrested on top of standing on top of an oil tanker me and some other rebels we stopped an oil tanker and I climbed on top of it I was absolutely convinced it's the right thing to do to try and slow down this fossil fuel death machine but still a part of me is like doesn't want everybody to hate me yeah <laughs> that's a big part of my brain a big part of everyone's brain maybe for some more than others I don't know even though this time I was convinced and I know you know I've got lots of support from the Extinction Rebellion community we all support we all all believe what we're doing is right I still want to be accepted by my community canoeing community by my friends and other people who aren't rebels you know and of course it is challenging not everyone can go along that accommodate this, but I guess quite a lot of people can at least go, well, at least he's doing something that he stands up and he believes in what he's doing. Number one, that's okay. And it's not, not as good as I'd like. And other people like, oh, yeah, really get what you're doing, totally support you, but I can't join you. And then there's other people who are like, totally get what you're doing, Wigan, how do I get involved, you know? But then it is scary to go out there and face the music, but at the same time, especially most recently, I've really become much more, very much more strongly committed to the fact that if I don't do this, if lots of people don't do this, the, the cost is unimaginably horrible. And so I feel very compelled. And, and if the price is to be unpopular with some people, I'm prepared to pay for that. But at the same time, the reality is you're not unpopular with everybody and lots and lots and lots of people support you. It's just, as I think I said in the last episode, the press and the media poison the atmosphere, but stacks of people either publicly or semi-publicly, sorry, privately or semi-publicly support what I'm doing. Far many, many people. And that makes you feel good because, you know, you're convinced that you're doing, you know, I'm convinced what I'm doing is a sensible proportionate thing, but you still don't want to just destroy yourself. But at the same time now, this is about there is a level of sacrifice that I'm prepared to endure because I think that in the end we'll either be successful and if we're not successful you know the consequence would be horrible so I may as well go for it that's how I feel 
when someone from the outside sees you being arrested and they're picking you up and moving you over to the paddy wagon, is it fair to say that what you were talking about earlier about other people, other animals, animals haven't been born yet, people haven't been born yet, that that's what's in your heart, as well as your picture of someone's fallen, they've had a heart attack or something, and you can't just walk past. Are you aiding an ailing society? I mean, like for whatever it looks like, I'm trying to imagine your heart is I'm doing what I can to help this fallen person. Yeah, I just think that it's, yeah. I have a few of my friends have kids, you know, who I feel very strongly for. I feel a lot of feeling for the young athletes that I've coached, you know, and the young athletes that are out there that I know who are getting older now, of course, but whose future I think about, you know, they're people I might, you know, identify with. I think there's an interesting thing that, we often get criticized, you know, some people say, you know, how, how have you got the right to disrupt ordinary people's lives like this, you know, to make your point. And that's a very hard thing to say because people are, you know, it's, we are disrupting, you know, we cause the traffic jams and, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's, you know, it's difficult when people get caught up in it and people have got stuff to do that's important in their lives. And, you know, it is hard, but I am not, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm infringing on their rights. I, I accept that. You know, they've got a right to go about their lives without being disrupted. That's true. But they have also got a right, which they perhaps have not really fully engaged with, of, you know, having a planet that is livable. And they also have a right to a future that isn't going to be dictated by governments and corporations who don't have their interests at heart. I also balance those rights of those people in my mind. I'm not only balancing their rights, but I'm balancing the rights of all those, yeah, those people I don't know, the unborn and the people who don't really know what's going on for whatever reason. You don't just get up in the morning and go, oh, I'm going to go and block traffic or I'm going to go and you know stand on top of an oil tanker just for the fun of it. You've got to go through a bit of a thought process to do it. I'm sure that there may well be people who just stand on top of an oil tanker without thinking about it, but I don't see those people. I see people with huge amounts of integrity and courage, decency and care and compassion who are pained by the lack of action right now. And they, they see this as a, a sensible, coherent way of, of achieving change. And then you're balancing the rights of more than just your own rights it's balancing you know more than just this very short narrow view it's about a bigger thing and I think being connected to a bigger thing is very powerful I think being connected with other people who are doing the same thing is also very powerful so that to me gives me a lot of strength and and yeah absolutely it is quite hard I think it's it's kind of like peace of mind for doing the right thing it's quite it's not priceless, but I, I suspect it almost priceless, you know, because you're avoiding that kind of nagging, rotting feeling of knowing something is bad and just walking on by. You know, that's kind of what we're talking about here, you know, and that is really horrible. I don't like that at all. And I don't think many people like that. You know, some people probably can live with it just fine, but most people that takes a toll on you. And if you do that too much, it's bad for your mental health. And I believe that when you act consistently, you know, you see something is not right and you try to, to help, that's a good thing to do. And that's why I'm trying. To get people to realize, okay, you're missing your appointment because I'm blocking traffic, but take that moment to reflect on what our society is, is teaching mm. you. You're not actually getting injured. What's yeah. happening? What is the disruption that we're trying to prevent? The disruption that we're trying to prevent is literally the disruption of your entire life. Everything you'll ever want to do is not going to happen if we do not make this disruption now if we do not intervene at this point in time you will 
I believe, you know, and this is this is not a matter of belief, this is a matter of science. You know, the, the physics say you increase CO2, you know, you increase species loss, you collapse this, you collapse that, so that stops working. Then we're going to have problems with food supplies. Then we're going to have problems with social unrest because of the pressure that causes. That's going to be very bad. These things aren't believed, but the disruption of those things is going to be incredible. It's going to be immense. It's going to be completely life-changing for almost everybody. It's not going to touch. The only people it's not going to touch are the extremely wealthy. And that is one of the things that's quite, quite hard to bear about it. But most people, it's going to affect in various ways and for some people you know let's be also very very clear there's millions of people right now who this is affecting directly and indirectly people are being murdered people are dying people are having their lives ruined by pollution by catastrophic climate weather events whatever you want to say this is a reality already for people we're trying to avoid the worst that that worst reality for for more people in the countries like mine it won't probably be quite the same as uh, it would be in some countries that are suffering right now but you know we've seen it in the US we've seen it in Canada we've seen it in Germany fires floods heat domes blah 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 whatever you want it's affecting people already but it's going to get worse unless we really fight for every fraction of a degree that we can stay below and if we we need to stay below that 1.5 line if at all possible yeah my go to on this one is that uh, 9 million people a year die from breathing polluted air mm. each of them has a family each of them, well, I don't know if each of them has a family, but you know, uh, many of them have families. None of them wanted to die. Compared to, in this country, the Atlantic slave trade is like one of the things that you're never supposed to compare things to. But it took centuries to reach that kind of number. And that's annual today. Mm. And it's increasing. Yeah. So, and, and that's one of many, many ways that people are affected by this. But I, I want to ask about the connection with people getting it or not getting it. In this country, I think for me, the go-to case of this of nonviolent action would be the Montgomery bus boycott, which I presume everyone knows about because Martin Luther King, I think, or well, famous, yeah, name. Yeah. then there's the, the salt march with Gandhi in these cases. And also um, Muhammad Ali's refusal to be drafted where it was one person, but a, per, a, a big stature. I mean, he, on, on a scale of one to 10, I think he's up there at 10. And, well, he calls uh, himself the greatest or he called himself the greatest of all time. And I think is a good, uh, you know, he's got a good case to make, right? Yeah. And in those cases, like the salt march was very clear. I'm, I just evaporated seawater and made salt and, you, and, and sold it. And you're calling that a crime. And in the bus boycott, retreat is second class. We're, we're still paying the same fares. We want to change that. Mm. Now, people burning the draft cards, not Ali. Ali, I think, had a pretty good... They were not going to put him on the front lines or they're not going to put him in the jungle at risk of dying. Mm. So he wasn't really risking... It was someone who's burning the draft card they might be a coward. I mean, someone could say that, but in Ali's case, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. So the case with Extinction Rebellion isn't quite as clear to most people as Gandhi's yeah. case or the- It is and it Khan. isn't. I mean, it's not a great leap for most people. And I think, you know, you can say most people were prepared to admit that we need a planet you know, livable planet, you know, asking for a future. We're basically asking for a future. That's not an unreasonable request. But yes, I do agree. That's a challenge of the environmental movement that it struggled on all these 30 years, 40 years, to be clear. You know, this is these things are happening dislocated in time and space, potentially. The worst effects are far, far away for lots of people. And a few years down the line, 
for some people, immediate for others, and a bit further down the line for others. So it is a challenge, and that is creating that sense of immediacy. You know, that is it is difficult, but that's one of the things that Extinction Rebellion Greta Thunberg did very well. We are in an emergency, and we pushed that up because now it's recognised. But there's no actual action about it's like the world's lamest emergency right now for lots of governments because they're just not acting that way. But it is it is different. But is it, I don't know if you've heard of like there was a, there's a, a group in in Britain called Insulate Britain, um, which was a, a group who took the a, a group kind of I suppose inspired or perhaps using somewhat similar tactics to Extinction Rebellion who blocked the M25, which is the ring road around London, which is one of the most you know, busy roads and really very disruptive protests. They blocked it very almost indiscriminately. You know, It caused a lot of consternation because there were people in the roads who didn't know what was going on. But when they were explaining, their demand was to insulate social housing for the government to do this one simple thing that's so reasonable just to insulate social housing, which is pound for pound, the best way of reducing people's carbon footprint and reducing fuel poverty. You know, so wind creates thousands of jobs, you know, in the economy, whatever. This proportionate method, which caused so much outrage, and it's probably one of the most outrageous protests, I guess, that I can, you know, remember and my caused so much aggravation for so many people. And they got absolutely hammered in the press. Yet, it pushed this issue of insulation into now right into the middle. And it's a clearly, clearly now our government is noticeable that they are not acting on insulation when it's really clear that they should be. And this is causing a lot of people, it pushes an issue into vision. And this is what I guess Martin Luther King said very well, you know, it's it, it, calm is not the absence of injustice, you know, peace is a, you know, a negative peace where the injustices are, are pushed underneath and everything is just papered over Nonviolent direct action brings something out into the into the world that was obvious to some and not at all obvious to other people and makes an issue of it. And insulation in this case, interestingly, it's not very sexy, it's not super exciting, but it made people really start talking about it. Oh, we don't like those insulate Britain people, but surely it's sensible to insulate people's houses and make thousands of jobs. You know, that makes so it's a really interesting chi- dynamic that they used. And I suppose it's that is a little bit more similar to the salt marches type style of stuff. It's where the, the demand is so is really, really clear and simple and immediate can be done immediately as well. I mean the Extinction Rebellion has demands that could be done immediately, but it is a slightly more slightly more abstract. I'll, I'll grant you that. I'm glad I asked because learning from history and evolving the tactics and strategies makes me ask, and I, I know we're running out of time, so I think we'll have to leave it for next time. I'll be brief on this one. We can do, I'll just be, I'll just do a short answer. Hey, about that, Josh, you can everyone be like, phew. What are the future plans? It must be evolving and you must have ways of um, like, oh, this didn't work, that did. Let's do more of that. Let's do less of this. And, mm. and here's how to get more people involved. Here, to get, Is it evolving? Yeah, I mean, I think Exodus Rebellion, it tries to evolve. It's trying, I guess, you know the the world is evolving you know society is changing the water is rising and it's a strange analogy but you know public opinion is changing more supportive of action around climate you know in britain i think there was a poll said something like 80 percent of people thought that the climate and environment was the leading issue above covid and above the national health service or whatever there's lots of people but the problem is is people don't know what to do is that what can be effectively done about it and XR is trying to you know, answer that question. But at the same time, 
we're seeing much more organized ways of trying to suppress this stuff by greenwash. They're changing the laws in this country to try to make our protests, you know, have heavier penalties. We're trying to evolve, but at the same time, the kind of principles and theory behind a lot of what Extinction Rebellion is doing, I think stays the same. It involves people pushing the limit, disobeying, potentially risking the liberty, potentially sacrificing parts of their liberty or whatever, you know, there's consequence. That's what makes it compelling. But Extinction Rebellion, we try to learn. It's quite hard, you know, because you never quite know. The evidence is always a bit tricky. There's always this tension between disrupting the public, which people understandably don't like doing. But again, if people don't, the public doesn't know what's going on, then you can talk all you like. They don't know that there's an important thing happening. Also, the tension between disrupting the targets. And I say this is another interesting thing. You know, we've tried to sort of disrupt fossil fuel infrastructure more, more directly. So Just Stop Oil Coalition, kind of led by, I guess, the Just Stop Oil group, has really targeted fossil fuel infrastructure in these last few months to really squeeze and it caused a lot of disruption actually it was on the verge of causing a fuel shortage in this country because of that but that hurts ordinary people as well but the point is that you know these fossil fuel industries our lives are so entwined with these industries to hurt to get that to cause some pain to them is going to be painful to the patient right it's like i don't know i sometimes think about maybe like a an analogy and I don't want to be using it lightly about cancer you know some of the treatments for cancer really affect the patient very badly and we have got to got to shut these fossil fuel companies down we've got to disrupt them because they're destroying us but it does because they're everywhere in our lives it does cause people disruption and cause people pain but if we don't the pain is going to be these companies are going to drive us off a cliff you know everybody and they seem to be completely happy with that. They know that's what they're doing. They seem to be completely okay with that. I'm not okay with that. And nor should anyone else be. I really don't think. Yeah, we're trying to learn. But also there's this deep commitment to the fact that disruptive protest involving disobedience is a very effective thing. We just don't know. Who knows? Will we be successful? Just like I can guarantee I'll never win the gold medal in Olympics in canoeing if I don't go canoeing or I don't go to the gym. So I'm trying the thing that seems to be most effective. I can guarantee that we will not be successful if I stay sat at home on my armchair, just as I would be unsuccessful in winning the Olympics if I stayed at home on my armchair as well. So that's kind of a good note to end it on, I suppose. Yeah, I was going to say uh, a good note to end it on. And also as a teaser for if you're game for the next time to talk about the disruption that you described is that people have to feel a pain or it looks like it's going to be, but then when you commit and actually change, I find it's the opposite of pain. It's really joyful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think that's the thing. There is a positive view. There is a positive view of the future where things can be better because what was, what's happening right now isn't working for a lot of people. Where there is a positive view, I think it's within grasp. I think people can conceive of it. It's going to be different, but I believe it could be a lot better because let's be, if we're really honest, things are pretty bad right now. It could be a lot better than what we've got right now. There we go. So that's the teaser for what we'll talk about, where we'll start next time, if that's okay with you. All right. Nice one. Etienne, Stott, thank you very much. Talk to you again soon.